Welcome to the Gaudium et Spes podcast. Every other week, we bring you Catholic teachings and stories of faith from people throughout the Diocese of Pensacola, Tallahassee. This is the Gaudium et Spes podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Gaudium et Spes podcast. Hello, Ches. How are you today? Hello, Suzanne. Doing well. Happy Holy Week to you. Yes, Happy Holy Week to you as well. Awesome. Yes. Um, it is Holy Thursday if you're listening to this on the day of release, so a blessed triduum to each one of you listening. Hopefully this uh, is a little bit of edification for uh, these next few days. Um, what do we got going on? What happened last episode? Well, we had Matt and Casey Jenlin. That's right. From St. Dominic, uh, join us and give testimony to their marriage and, you know, alcoholism, which, Mm. you know, is one of those hidden things that unfortunately can affect so many people. Mm -hmm. So, and they provided some great resources for those of you that may be dealing with similar issues. So please check out that last podcast and uh, look at the resources and references that um, Matt and Casey provided to you. Yeah. It was a privilege, Suzanne, to be able to, to chat with them and hear their yes. story. And um, yeah, it was a powerful episode, guys. Please go back and watch it. Related to that, uh, speaking of sharing your testimony, share where you're at and stuff, the bishop has launched um, a new initiative related to his pastoral letter, Sharing the Gift, which was released back in November. And he is asking for people across the diocese to submit three-minute testimonies of really their own story, their encounter with Christ, and a deepening of their faith at some point in their life, or to nominate other people who they know has a really great testimony. So sometimes we're a little shy to say, hey, we have a, you know, I have really something to say, but you might know somebody who's like, that person, man, they have an amazing story. So if you've got anything like that and you wouldn't mind possibly being uh, filmed and and having that shared with the rest of the diocese, sharing the gift of the rest of the diocese, please go to ptdiocese.org slash pastoral dash letter. Again, that's ptdiocese.org slash pastoral dash letter and you'll see the whole submission form there and the the guidelines and stuff so yeah check it out definitely okay great what's going on in our lives oh it's yes. quote time it's Gaudi mitzvah uh <laughs> one time and uh as you might be used to by now it goes the joys and the hopes the griefs and anxieties of the men of this age especially those who are poor or in any way afflicted these are the joys and hopes the griefs and anxieties of the followers of christ suzanne take it away Yeah, thanks. Well, you know, we had a wonderful day of reflection for the Pastoral Center this um, last week. And um, once again, we did it out at Our Lady of Assumption Parish on Pensacola Beach. And I just wanted to give a huge shout out to all of the parishioners there who cooked a marvelous luncheon for us. They provided breakfast, lunch. I mean, it was just top-notch quality. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. And I had the pleasure of purchasing one of their recipe books. So I just wanted to give a plug and a shout out to them and um, stop by the parish, pick up one of these recipe books. Uh, you won't be disappointed. So um, full of lots of uh, delicious things that you can try at home yourself. So and we can vouch for it. Yes. We, we had a number of we had probably three or four of the recipes in that book and Absolutely. they were delightful. They Absolutely were. Delicious. They were. How about you? What's been going on in your life? My simple griefs and anxieties. I mean, the, the, and we've mentioned this a few podcasts ago, but just the, the stream of news, especially out of Ukraine, is just mm. like, just every day. It's just like, Oh, it's a, it's a real weight. But, um, peering through the lens of the Christian and just kind of like absorbing it, lifting it up to the Lord is 
can be somewhat at least like you feel like my prayers are heard and um yeah anyhow i'm sure many of you are dealing with the same kinds of griefs and anxieties over that a consolation though this weekend um (laughs) on sunday after man just weekends of craziness soccer games and travel and work stuff or whatever sunday i found myself kind of just meandering in my garage unexpectedly for about three hours and cleaning stuff up. Ah. And I know that sounds so boring, (laughs) but it was, it was so therapeutic just be kind of my, I was, my wife was inside with the kids and Mm -hmm. it was a beautiful day outside and I just got to clean the garage and it just satisfied my heart in a way I was not expecting. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's one of those tasks that can be very daunting. And Uh so a lot of people kind of put it off for as long as they can. And that's the key. I did not plan this. (laughs) Okay. So it was just like, I just felt, you know, sometimes you get in those like organizational cleaning spurts or whatever. And I was like, I'm going to do some work out here. And it wasn't like that big thing weighing over me, like, oh, i got to clean the garage. Oh, gosh. Well, good. Yeah, you know, I think that was one of the great things about being in the military is, you know, we moved every two, three years. So it kind of forced you to continuously like clean out stuff because if you were packing out and moving on you Mm -hmm. had to you know kind of get as organized as you possibly could so it was always a good forcing function to clean so yeah (laughs) well awesome it's another uh, episode by the bishop today on the holy scriptures and we're pretty much wrapping up the old testament today he's going to take us through the wisdom literature of the old testament so a number of books of the bible that he's going to be quickly giving a, a glance and just giving a whole sense of what this section of the scriptures is about what it's supposed to lead us toward in our understanding of god in our own lives um, so sit back and enjoy and we'll see you on the other side We have been learning about the various books of the Bible. I'm walking us through the books of the Bible using especially the New American Bible. In fact, I'm kind of just ripping it off. So you should know this, that that a lot of what I'm saying can be found in your Bible, especially the New American Bible, in the introductions, in the footnotes sections. I highly recommend that Bible for this reason. And of course, you know, as as we go through these books, it's a quick tour through the Bible. And what I'm hoping is that it piques your interest enough so that you would find one of these books and want to really open it up or the whole Bible, of course, that would be good to do that. But just know that we're just, I'm just saying a few things about each book when we could go on and on and on about each book. So I hope that this serves to, as I say, pique your interest is to open things up in your heart so that you want to read more and more. The wisdom literature in the Bible does that for me. In fact, I took a class in the seminary called Wisdom Literature, and it really, really opened me up to just new, I guess, new ideas, new thoughts, new new ways of looking at our faith, at my faith, and a new appreciation for the Word of God. And so I'm really excited to tell you a little bit about what we studied, what I have learned, and what is in our Bible. Wisdom literature is part of the book, part of the writings of the Bible. There's the law and the prophets and the book of writings. It's part of those that works, the works of the writings. And really, wisdom literature, it's hard to sum it up because there are several books that comprise this literature and they're all very, not very different, but they're very unique. But I guess if we could kind of sum it up or really encapsulate all of them, wisdom literature is, its goal is for us to live well to to understand as much as we can God's will and to put into practice the law of God in fact outside of the wisdom literature way back in the torah moses told the people he said 
make sure you keep the commandments of God, all of the laws and decrees of our Lord, so that everyone will look and say, look how wise this people is. They have wisdom because they listen to God and they follow his commandments. So at the heart of it, wisdom, it doesn't just mean book knowledge, of course, or intellectual skill. Wisdom is knowing and doing God's will, you know, and so, and, and for our ancestors, that was passed on from generation to generation. Parents would pass on these, these skills, the, the wisdom to their children. They would learn it from others and pass it on. And hopefully that is still happening today. Ultimately, God, our Father, gives us wisdom. He grants us the gift to know him and love him and serve him and make him known, loved, and served in the world. So this then is the goal of the wisdom books, is to impart knowledge, not just knowledge of history, but knowledge of the things of God, to grapple with our faith and even to ask the difficult questions, as you will see. Wisdom literature also represents a shift in our thinking about our destiny. For so long, our ancestors focused on the here and now because that's all they knew. Heaven was not an option for them. Eternal life was not on their radar, if you will. That wasn't anything they even hoped for. What they could hope for was a good name, a long life, a good family, a posterity, an inheritance to leave behind honor, things like that, and riches and all of that. There, We see slowly, though, in, in time, especially in wisdom literature, that now there is an understanding of, or rather I should say a hope for, something beyond this life. For, you know, we, there is a, a hope that one could rest with one's ancestors, which speaks of something more than just this life, and later resting in the bosom of Abraham. And then finally, you know, we see that there is something. The souls of the just are in the hand of God, and no torment shall touch them. That comes from the book of wisdom, even before Jesus, even before his death and resurrection. God had already planted it in our hearts to hope for something more. They didn't know what it was until Jesus came, nor was it available until the resurrection. But already our ancestors were hoping for that. So that's found in wisdom literature, a shift in the thinking of eternal life. Focusing on that. Also, there's a focus on responding to God's goodness and how we can live as God's children. Wisdom is collective wisdom. It, it really represents what works. What, what we as a society have come to know as, as, as God's will and what works, how we are to respond. It's a collection of stories that touch on the results of human experience and, and the, the attempts to solve the problems of life. As I said, it's the handing down of knowledge, and its chief purpose is instruction. The books of, liter of wisdom literature, in wisdom literature, uh, express a, there's a great diversity in style. There's poetry, story, wisdom lessons, parables, fables, riddles, folklore, moral, study, moral stories, etc. They deal with basic things like our origin, the problem of suffering and evil, happiness, death, and even what lies beyond the grave. Sages, wise people of the time, cultivated wisdom and passed it on, especially to youth. In times of crisis, they reminded people what works, and they tried to teach them to return to these practices. It's very appropriate for us today. You know, we're all worried about things going on and, and 
unprecedented events like the pandemic or you know the war in in Ukraine and and you know it, it creates a panic well this changes everything well i think you know our faith tells us that no god is still in heaven god is still our god we know what we need to do we still need to focus on loving god and loving our neighbor and putting our faith into practice this is what the sages did the wise people of the day they tried to remind the people of what has worked solomon was best known for his wisdom. King Solomon, when God said in the book of Kings, ask for anything you want, Solomon, Solomon prayed for wisdom. He said, I'm going to need wisdom in order to guide these people of yours. And God was pleased with his request. God said, since you did not ask for silver or gold or anything else or a long life, but you asked for wisdom, I will give you wisdom greater than which the world has never seen or will ever see. So we, we use that, that saying sometime, she has the wisdom of Solomon. That's, that's what it means. It's, it's, Solomon is, is, um, is known to have had great wisdom. So, no surprise, some of the books of the, of the wisdom literature in the Bible are ascribed to Solomon. We're not exactly sure if he authored them or if he inspired them, but in a sense, I guess we could say he did, because the wisdom of that time came from Solomon and thus was ascribed to him. To practice wisdom is seen as embracing piety and virtue. The sages were special people. The books were placed beside the law and the prophets in the Bible. That shows their importance. The highest wisdom was identified with the Spirit of God, through which the world was created and preserved, and humankind was enlightened. That comes from the introduction to the wisdom literature. From a Christian point of view, wisdom literature highlights the limitations of the human awareness and enlightenment. It is, we know something of eternal life. We can know God, as St. Paul says, kind of dimly, not, not perfectly, Thus, it paves the way for a solution in the New Testament, Jesus Christ, who would give us the Holy Spirit, who would lead us to all truth. Okay, let's quickly, not quickly, but let's run through the wisdom books. The first book is Job, from the introduction. The book of Job, named after its protagonist, is an exquisite dramatic treatment of the problem of the suffering of the, suffering of the innocent. The contents of this book, together with its artistic structure and elegant style, place it among the literary masterpieces of all time. This is a literary composition and not a transcript of historical events and conversations. I like that. The, the book of Job is one of the masterpieces of all time, not just for Christians and Jews, but for all people of all cultures. It's one of the greatest books ever written. And that was important, that last line. It's not necessarily a narration of historical events and conversations, but it is a literary composition. Job is a good place to start because it is the epitome, I think it represents the epitome of wisdom literature. It shows a new way of seeing the world, especially in the view of suffering. And also it deals with the meaning of life. It is a wonderful, tragic story for the most part, especially at the beginning, which treats the problem of suffering of the innocent. It has haunted humanity from the beginning. Why do bad things happen to, apparently, good people? This is as relevant today as it was millennia ago. The summary of the, the book is this, and I'm sure you know it. 
that Job was an upright person. He was pleasing to God and his neighbors in every way. He was a leader in his community in every aspect. Everything was good. But the devil has a conversation with God and says, and God says, see how good my servant Job is? And the devil says, well, that's because he is so blessed. If you take away that, I doubt he would he would be so pleasing and that he would still believe. And again, don't take this literally. It's a, it's a literary kind of uh, uh, composition. Um, but God says to the devil, well, go ahead. You may do whatever you want to Job. Just spare his life. And so the devil takes away everything, his children, his livelihood, his land, everything is gone, even his own health. And Job is reduced to nakedness, basically, and just sitting, wallowing in his own misery and suffering. And throughout the course of the book, Job's friends, these people representing society, come one by one, and they offer him arguments, the arguments of the day as to why this has happened. Well, Job, this has happened because you have sinned. And Job really honestly thinks about it, and he says, no, I I mean, I'm not perfect, but I haven't done anything to deserve this. And then someone, the next friend comes and says, ah, then this has come because someone in your family, your your ancestors have sinned and have transgressed horribly against the Lord. And again, Job says no. And they bring up these arguments one after the other. And finally, Job is just left alone. And though he never, ever loses faith in God, at that point, at the end of the book, he does kind of raise his fist, if you will, an angry fist to God and say, just like any of us would, why? Why has this happened to me? What did I do to deserve this? The answer that comes back from God in this book of Job is not very satisfying. God doesn't say, you know, well, actually, because of this, and, you know, this connects to this and this and this. Basically, God says, it's my, this is my business and not yours. In fact, God actually says to Job, oh, well, if you're so wise, then tell me, were you there when I made the mountains? Were you there when I carved out the depths of the sea? When I made the water and the land and all of that? You're, you're really wise. You're questioning me. Let me question you, O wise one. God's a bit sarcastic toward the end. And then Job realizes, he says, I put a hand over my mouth and I will speak no more. So the answer is not very satisfying, but it's the answer that is. And we know it in in the depths of our hearts. We do not know. God's ways are not our ways. Ours is not to understand why everything happens. Our task is to be faithful through it all. And that's what Job represents. Job had everything, then he had everything taken away from him, then he had it all given back to him in abundance. And throughout it all, he was faithful. He is a a model for all of us, in season, out, out of season, in good times and in bad, to be faithful to God. The ultimate lesson is that suffering happens to us all. But one who endures prevails in the end. We cannot understand God or the workings of the world, but we can endure all things through our trust and fidelity to God. Of course, I recommend that you read the whole book, but if you just want to go to chapters 38, 39, you'll see God's exquisite answer to Job's question, his complaint. And then you see that resolution at the end of the book. But really, I know it's, it's several, it's 40 some chapters, but it really is worth it to read the book of Job. Psalms. The Psalms is not just one book, but it's 150 books, 150 chapters, 150 prayers of the church. It's a collection of religious songs, mostly 
song psalms written for liturgical practice to be sung or prayed together as a community. The introduction to the book in the New American Bible notes that some psalms were composed for liturgical use, others for individual recitation. They represent supplication, complaint, request for help, thanksgiving, some teach a lesson, etc. Again, not, there's just not one genre, but there, there, there are many different forms of prayer, liturgical and individual prayer. Many of the Psalms are ascribed directly to King David, though we don't think that he authored all of them. He, again, just, just as people ascribe the wisdom to Solomon, a lot of the Psalms are ascribed to David. And it makes sense. If you know Psalm 51, Psalm 51 is one of the more famous ones. It's a psalm of mercy. Have mercy on me, God. Have mercy. Though my sins are red like scarlet, you make me whiter than snow. Make me hear rejoicing and gladness that the bones you have crushed may revive. Then I will see your face again, and I will tell others of your goodness. If you think about David's life, especially his horrible, grave sin of adultery with Bathsheba, of lying about that, of killing her husband— and and disclose and not disclosing that to anyone. Once God found that out, well, of course God knew that. Once David knew that God knew, David crumpled, and we think he inspired Psalm 51, which says, "My bones have been crushed by my own sins, but you will forgive me, and I will go forward." It's really an interesting way to focus uh, to ref- our reflection. If you think about that, that they're not just these theoretical prayers, but they're based in human experience. The the Psalms really are our prayer book, our heritage. Prophets, the prophets cited them often. Jesus prayed the Psalms. Saints prayed and referred to the Psalms constantly. We do the same thing today at every liturgy, at every Mass, in the liturgy of the hours that the priests and religious pray and others every day. These are the Psalms, our prayer book. Jesus referenced them again and again. On the cross, he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the first line of Psalm 22. No doubt the people who heard would have kind of played the rest of the psalm in their minds, where it says, They pluck my beard, they they pierce me, they pierce my flesh, they divide my clothes. All that's in Psalm 22. It's very interesting. For some people, I think the Psalms represent the best loved part of the Bible. You know, so many people know and love Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, there is nothing I shall want. Or Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? Psalm 139 is my personal favorite. Um, My God, you know me, you love me. Where can I run from your love? Even in my mother's womb, you knew me when I was being fashioned in secret. The Psalms are the prayer book for the church. They are our prayer book. And I think that's what I want to say about the Psalms. Okay, great. Next is the book of Proverbs. The primary purpose of the book of Proverbs is to teach wisdom, not only to the young and inexperienced, but to the advanced. And this is interesting. This comes from the New American Bible. Wisdom in the ancient Near East was not theoretical knowledge, but practical expertise. For instance, jewelers who cut precious stones were wise. Kings who made their dominion peaceful and prosperous were wise. One could be wise in daily life, too, in knowing how to live successfully. Ultimately, wisdom or sound guidance aims at the formation of character. 
So that's what Proverbs is all about. They're just, they're one line bits of advice, if you will, one or two lines. They, um, it's poetry. Primary purpose is to teach wisdom. And this comes from the first seven verses of the book of Proverbs. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. That people may know wisdom and discipline, may understand intelligent sayings, may, may receive instruction and wise conduct in what is right, just, and fair. That resourcefulness may be imparted to the naive, knowledge and discretion to the young. The wise, by hearing them, will advance in learning. The intelligent will gain sound guidance. To comprehend proverb and byword, the words of the wise and their riddles. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. Proverbs is a collection of sayings in order to teach wisdom, to impart God's instruction to children and to the elderly, to all people alike. Some of the Proverbs, you should read them. I know it's not the easiest thing to do just to read these one after the other, but sometime in your life you should read the whole book of Proverbs. Some of the Proverbs are kind of humorous or they use very colorful language. You know, one says, as the dog returns to its vomit, so the fool returns to his ways. Something like that, you know. Like a golden ring in a swine's snout is a beautiful woman with a rebellious disposition. Some might not be politically correct today, but nonetheless, it's, it's really interesting. And some have become part of our culture. It doesn't say this exactly, but in Proverbs 13, spare the rod, spoil the child. It is the passing on of wisdom. Six In chapter 6, verse 20, observe, my son, your father's bidding. And reject not your mother's teaching. Again, passing on this wisdom to the next generation. Wisdom is personified in Proverbs and the Book of Wisdom as a woman who calls to people. Especially in chapter 8. Wisdom is seen as cooperating with God. Come to me. Come and learn from me. Come to know me. Come to love me. Not a person, but wisdom. Come to know God by, by knowing by knowing God's attributes, if you will. And it would become important to Christian understanding and Christian understanding of the pre-existence of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Okay, that was Proverbs. Yes, the next one is Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is a very interesting book. It very, it, God is mentioned very rarely in that book, actually. And probably the most famous part is chapter 3, um, where it talks about the vanity of all things. Everything is vanity. Uh, there is a time to be born, a time to die, a time to be happy, a time to be sad, a time to weep, a time to rejoice, etc. You remember probably this. This was popularized by the song from Pete Seeger, covered by the birds. There is a season, turn, turn, turn. That's chapter 3 there in the book of Ecclesiastes. This is from the introduction. The book's honest and blunt appraisal of the human condition provides a healthy corrective to the occasionally excessive self-assurance of other wisdom writers. Its radical skepticism is somewhat tempered by the resigned conclusions to rejoice in whatever gifts God may give. So, you know, it says that what's the use? We, we, we wake up, we go to work, we're hungry, we eat. We go to bed, we wake up, we're hungry again, we go to work. What's the use? 
Well, it doesn't answer it, but you and I, are, the reader, is, is then moved to say, well, the use is beyond us then. The, the, the meaning of life is nothing that we're doing every day. It must be what God is doing and how, what God intends for humanity. So in a very roundabout way, it really shows us that, again, just like with Job, that God's wisdom is so far beyond our wisdom and that we shouldn't really dwell on the why do these things happen, but instead try to be faithful to God in all things. Life in the book of Ecclesiastes is shown to be an enigma beyond human ability to solve. It is relevant today, I believe, because of what's going on, you know, because a lot of people are saying, what's the use? What's the meaning of life? What's the purpose? We're kind of just going through the motions, it seems, doing the same things over and over again. It's just as relevant today. Again, we shouldn't ask that question or dwell on the why, but instead ask, how can I, how am I being called to be faithful to God and to pointing the truth to others, pointing out God's ways and God's presence to others? That's the book of Ecclesiastes. Again, I am just going through these very, very quickly. So I hope it's, it's, you know, that you're, you're interested enough to read it. Ecclesiastes is a very short book. So please read that. Read all of them. The next one is the Song of Songs or sometimes called the Canticle of Canticles. It is an exquisite collection of love lyrics arranged to tell a dramatic tale of mutual desire and courtship. It presents an inspired portrayal of ideal human love, a resounding affirmation of the goodness of human sexuality that is applicable to the sacredness and the depth of married union. It shows mutual, the mutual love of God and his people. It is a love song, sheer poetry. God has formed his beloved and raised them and taught them and purified them. They are prepared for a spiritual union with God, which this book describes and celebrates. It is also a commentary on, as I said, ideal human love, a primer on marriage as a vocation, which mirrors God's love for all of us. It uses marriage as a way of talking about our union with God and his people the lover and the beloved, which was common to the prophets and New Testament writers. In Christian terms, it is used to describe the union of Christ and his body, the church. There's also an application in the book to Mary, the Virgin Mother, as a woman to be imitated. In chapter 4, verse 7, it says, You are beautiful, and there is no blemish in you. The author is speaking of of, of, of a woman, of his, his beloved. And, um, and some have ascribed that to Mary. You are beautiful and there is no blemish in you. I always tell people I'm amazed that this book made it into the canon of the Bible because it is perhaps one of the most different, uh, unique of all of the books. And, um, and it's very, uh, I guess, it's, it's very surprising in the, in the language that is used about love, about, intimate, even erotic love, and ascribes that kind of love to to God, how much God loves us and how much we ought to love God. That's the Song of Songs. Next is the Book of Wisdom. Wisdom, or the Wisdom of Solomon, was written about 50 to 100 years before the coming of Christ. This book encouraged contemporaries who were oppressed with traditional teachings of wisdom and the reminders of past glory. It is a, it represents a huge leap forward in our understanding of eternal life. 
as I said, in the third chap- chapter there, it speaks about something beyond the grave. And this, I, I've, I've heard this read at a lot of funerals that I've celebrated. It's very popular because, you know, when you pick something from the Old Testament, there's not a lot of, of references that refer to eternal life and heaven. But this one does, especially chapter 3 in, in Wisdom says, The souls of the just are in the hand of God, and no torment shall touch them. They seemed in view of the foolish to be dead, and their going away thought an utter affliction, but they are in peace. So you see, it's not a great definition of what is heaven. You know, of course, we didn't know. That wasn't available. But God had already planted it in our hearts to hope for something more, to know that we would be in the hand of God and would be in peace with God. That's the book of wisdom. There's so much more to say about that. Next is Sirach, also called Ecclesiasticus, not Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiasticus, which means church book. The author of Sirach obviously loves the law, the temple, the priesthood, and worship. He encouraged contemporaries to maintain faith through recalling the great events of the past. It's written in Hebrew, but that was lost until recently. Last century manuscripts were found written in Hebrew, and this agrees substantially with the Greek text that we have. So you'll notice in Bibles, uh, Protestant Bibles, they may not have Sirach because that was not part of, of the um, Septuagint at the time, because they didn't find that that was not in Hebrew. But we have found that in Hebrew. We have found the Hebrew manuscripts in the um, Dead Sea Scrolls and in other places. So there's a lot of, there's, there's, anyway, it's just kind of a neat thing. The church uses the book of Sirach a lot in our liturgy. Chapter 6 is a neat reflection on friendship. Um, it's really kind of neat. It's a gem right there in the middle of the Bible. Chapter 6 in Sirach, you may want to look that up, but it just talks about what is a friend. A faithful friend is a sturdy shelter. One who has one has found a treasure, etc. No sum can balance his work. Let your acquaintances, I think it says something like, be a thousand but your true trusted friend, one in a thousand, something like that. And it's kind of a nice little thing. If you're ever, if you want to know, if you want to write something to a friend or, you know, just tell a friend how much she or he means to you, it's a great thing to quote chapter six in the book of Sirach. The first part, like the book of Proverbs, helps to teach us virtues like prudence, self-control, temperance, wisdom, etc. And the second part that is really chapters 44 through 50 offer us a really awesome summary of history going through you know Moses and Abraham and and all of the our ancestors and how they were wise because they responded to God's invitation chapter 24 in of uh, Sirach looks a little like the prologue of John's gospel in the beginning was the word and all of that it starts to talk about this plan that God has had from the beginning to reveal himself and to to bring about his his justice, his mercy, his salvation to the world. That's really what I wanted to share with you about these books. I've just scratched the surface, and I'm sure you know that. I urge you, I, I invite you to pick up your Bible and read these books. Not not because don't do it because I'm telling you to do that, or because you thought I always wanted, or I really should read the Bible. But do it because it will help you to gain wisdom, not necessarily intellectual knowledge, but the wisdom you and I need to respond to God's commandments, God's law, God's grace, God's presence in our life. 
to know God, to love God, and to serve God, and to make him known, loved, and served in the world. God bless you. Welcome back, everyone. Oh, my goodness. What an incredible teaching from Bishop Walk. I mean, I, I, it's just amazing how much I learn from what he says and listening to this and then going back myself and reading the Bible. Um, I was really touched initially by the book of Job, as I think so many mm. people are, you know, um, you know, why bad things happen to good people. And it's a hard concept for us to reconcile with, I think, because we think we're doing good, we're doing everything we're supposed to, we're being faithful, we're, we're kind to others, we're following what we think Jesus wants us to do, but yet we still continue to um, encounter sufferings and um, loss and rejection and all of those feelings that are just, you know, very uncomfortable for all of us. And I think, you know, uh, what I learned from this is that you can't question it. You just got to know it's God's will and you got to just keep moving forward like Job did, you know, Mm -hmm. despite all of the obstacles that came his way, he continued to believe, he continued to stay faithful. And I think that's a great lesson for all of us. Yeah. As Bishop said, one of the great works of literature, not just scriptural literature literature in general and you're exactly right you know it does leave it does as bishop said kind of leaves you a little unsatisfied yes but god still speaks and like we're not we're not just supposed to keep your head down don't ask questions Mm -hmm. and you know expect no answers like the lord will enter into dialogue with you and sometimes and he'll just like he did with job he's like where were you? I don't yes. know where you were, but he still is speaking to you. And there's still something so beautiful about, like, we belong to a God who, even in the midst of sorrows and things we can't understand, he'll speak to you. And he'll 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 provide his presence as a source of, of comfort. And sometimes, in fact, all times, that's completely sufficient. So Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I think just, if you don't mind, um, tagging along with that, moving mm-hmm. into the book of Psalms. Yeah. You know, there's, um, you know... Um, Chapter 34, verse 19, it says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, saves those whose spirit is crushed. You know, unfortunately, um, depression and suicide is, you know, a fact of life and it's around us. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Bob and I have some friends that, you know, have been going through some things recently Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, reading this, it, it's, you know, I want to send this then to them to have them just ponder over it. And so they can remember that, you know, um, God is there with them and that every life is precious. And um, despite, you know, the awfulness that people are going through, you know, there is hope at the end of the road and there is eternal life to look forward to. Yeah. Um, yeah the Psalms. Wow. I mean, it touches the absolute depths of despair. Like if you believe what that, what the writers are saying, in the Psalms, mm-hmm. whether it's David or the other psalmists and stuff, like exactly like extreme depression, like loss, complete loss of expressing essentially like I have lost all hope. My enemies have won. 
I am counted like those amongst the dead. You know, like basically my life's over. You see that not just in one psalm, but like dozens of psalms over and over and over again. And the fact that we have a religion and a, and a God who's willing to listen to that and not just entertain it, but like it's it it's the compendium of our prayer life. Right. You know, it's like this should – the church – our priests, our bishops, our, our clergy members are required to pray this every single day. They have to go through these emotions, experience the full breadth of human experience and, and, mm. and the depths of despair and stuff, mm-hmm. and still believe, because it's there's clear evidence of it, obviously, that God enters in and responds to those situations. Absolutely. So there's, um, yeah, the Psalms are whoa. I mean, like yeah. some of them are whoa in yes. terms of the <laughs> the intensity. Yes. Um they're not all just kind of like nice little poems about deers and water and stuff. Like some of them are just, whoa. So, right. um, but that's so, that's beautiful to think of a friend that like you can, you can offer them something at Absolutely. any stage of life. I know. I know. So, you know, what were some of your big takeaways? Yeah. Bishop's overall, first of all, his, his approach to what is li- wisdom literature for as a whole, like mm-hmm. as a group, I think that's really important because sometimes you do re- you end up reading like one proverb, right? Or you read one psalm, or you read one part of Ecclesiastes, mm-hmm. and you don't really get a scope of the, what the whole thing is for and stuff. And the fact that he's like, this is about the people of God enacting the law and living the law mm-hmm. in their lives, um, and also it's the place where you can see this gradual. You already mentioned this eternal life, this gradual shift in thinking over centuries, right? Toward the fact that our our earthly lives and the and the graces God gives us in our earthly lives are wonderful, but yes. it's it's not the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that escaped me when I was a kid. I, I thought like the whole Bible was about eternal life, yes. <laughs> and that all of the scriptures, yeah. like all the people in the scripture, like Moses, mm-hmm. you know, I, he he didn't really have a concept of heaven. You know, yeah. Abraham didn't have a concept of heaven. King David even didn't really have a concept of heaven. But it it builds in their consciousness of Israel, and I think that's just so important to remember that God kind of. He reveals things slowly but surely, and we have to grapple. So, like, wisdom is about we have to grapple what's been given to us, and then God speaks to us in the grappling. And we grapple some more, and we complain some more, and he keeps keeps kind of working it and stuff. So I think that was really helpful. Um, and then, yeah, specifically the one book um, I, I picked up. The, the book I picked up most recently mm-hmm. is the Song of Songs. I'm, I'm the, okay. You know, I'm the marriage and family life yes. director. So this, <laughs> um, I was doing it for a work purpose. And it as Bishop said, I think he hinted at, it's crazy that the book is in the Bible. I mean, again, the wisdom literature, the, the depth of despair in the Psalms, right. the intensity of the poetic uh, feeling in the Song mm-hmm. of Songs, and like the fact that like, this is deemed, and I think even, I heard somewhere that Hebrew, the Hebrew boys were not allowed to read it until they were like 13, oh, wow. because it's kind of that scandalous mm-hmm. and intense and stuff. <laughs> Some people are like, well, it's just like, that is our God, like, the Lord cares about every aspect of human existence. Yes. He is not afraid or like, he's not weirded out by anything he created. Um, mm-hmm. He's not weirded out by emotion. He's not weirded out by by a feeling of sexual attraction. It's all his gift. And he freely encourages people to to, to ponder it in light of him and in, in, in light of his presence in our lives. So yeah. um, I do love that that made it in the Bible. I, I mean, there's many, uh, many quotes from it and stuff like that. It, takes probably about 25 minutes to read mm-hmm. um so maybe maybe as spouses read it one evening together yeah. and uh and see what what um what real romance <laughs> is like <laughs> according to the scriptures so yeah, yeah that's a great idea mm-hmm. and you know um in conclusion just kind of ending what bishop said at the very end pick up your bible and read it yeah 
you know, do it because it will give you wisdom to be able to respond to God. For sure. I think that's beautiful. Absolutely. Well, next time around, we have the privilege of being with two of our seminarians for this diocese. Very excited. I Uh, am too. Aaron Slayback and Peter Jutris, who are are both seminarians for our diocese, will be here in the studio, and we'll get to talk to them about their calling to the vocation. They're they're considering and discerning right now, um, life down at the seminary. I don't know, their favorite bubble gum flavor. I have no (laughs) idea, but uh, we're going to enjoy our conversation with them, so tune in next time around, and we'll see you in a couple weeks. Thank you for tuning in today to the Gaudium et Spes podcast. If you would like to know more about our podcast, please visit gaudiumetspes.net or go to ptdiocese.org and click the button that says podcast. If you listen to the audio version from an app such as iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify, be sure and rate, review, and comment. If you watched us on YouTube, make sure you like and subscribe or leave us a comment there as well. Thank you for joining us.